And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far, I'd have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it? You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 21 of The Roundtable. I'm Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy McCullough and Mark Carrig. And gentlemen, if this podcast is 21 now, which up its own ass IPA is it choosing to drink tonight for the first time? Because there's no way this is a Coors podcast. This is some frame. This is some sort of pomegranate sour. I wouldn't. Exclusive's a bit strong, but I am. I the majority of alcohol I drink is Coors Light. Okay. Like okay. The overwhelming majority of alcohol I drink is Coors Light. Okay. Are you? How many have you had this morning? <laughs> Over under 2.5, I got the over. You know, I do wonder, like, how – I I mean, you think about a lot of things when you're a baseball beat writer. It's a long season. And I've never, like, obviously never did this. But, like, you do think, like, if I showed up drunk today, how long would it take someone to notice? You know, like, what, could I get through Clubhouse just hammered? Probably. Yeah. I mean, it, it, would, it would depend on uh, uh, aroma. You know what I mean? I – I have faith that you can be functional as far as like navigating and everyone's like, man, he's just a little off today. But if you're reeking, you're reeking. Boy, I wish I could talk about this in the theoretical. <laughs> 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 but I probably yeah. shouldn't talk about the 2015 World Series. So Yeah, we don't need to talk about uh, me having to drive Mark to the workout day of the 2015 World Series because he legally, I believe, is still over the limit uh, the next day. <laughs> We had some escapades the evening before and like got carried away and I woke up in the morning, got in the car, um, backed out and realized, you know, this is not a good idea. Not a good idea. So I texted Andy and went, hey, um, you get to the park yet? Because I could use a ride. So anyway, worked out <laughs> yeah. fine. I respect that. I, I've definitely had some day game after night games where it's like, I could, you know, I'd like walk to the park because I'm on the road and I'd be like, I should, I, there's no way I should be driving a car right now. That would be that would be bad. Like uh, good times. Yeah, no, I mean, I I would feel as if I were uh, 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 sort of deceptive if I didn't share my any stories. For me. So here here we go. One time I uh, woke up and I realized I hadn't filed my World Series story, and I was like, oh my god, oh my god. I closed my laptop and just like poof, racked out behind me, and oh, this is okay. I don't do this, and I opened it up, and it was uh, submitted. It was edited. It was published. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. Yeah, if, um, I, if I do say so myself, which I'm not telling you which. I'm not telling you which World is. Series. Yeah. Uh, it was not for this company, and I haven't done it since. It scared the bejeepers oh, out man. of me. But uh, you can't I, tell. I you just see tell, Grant man. sipping a cup of coffee that morning. Going, hmm, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> you know, well, I, I, I'm not going to say it was pretty good. I'm just going to say it wasn't career ending, which to I me mean, here, was right? pretty good. Yeah. 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 For now. This feels like a challenge to all the roundtable heads out there, uh, specifically maybe uh, Riley Breckenridge of uh, <laughs> the band Thrice and the Twitter account Productive Outs. If you can find which of Grant's World Series stories that is, I will personally Venmo you $15. It's probably something like maybe I overcompensated with uh, four-syllable words instead of three-syllable words. And I'm, re I'm referencing like uh, uh, 
I'm not doing Simpsons references because that's the straight stuff. I'm going deep on like the state. MTV's the state. The state. I don't know, man. <laughs> All right. Well, we're not here to talk about things that could have gotten us canned. We're here to talk about baseball. Hey. Pablo Sandoval stepped to the plate and said, I want to dip my balls in it. <laughs> That's for the state heads. The state Come on, that's a there, state yeah. reference. Uh, that's a. Uh, it turns out that Ken Marino has ping pong balls in his hand. He wasn't talking what you think you're talking about. <laughs> so it's safe. It's good. But we're going to talk about the Astros because we've been planning this for a week. We've been planning about. We keep talking like, hey, the Astros are really, really good, and we don't talk about them enough. And we do. We we talk about the Dodgers once every thirty minutes. We have a timer set. It goes off, and we mention something about the Dodgers. But we don't talk about the Astros enough as far as a dominant super team. So, Andy, this was uh, your. Uh, bugaboo so let's go talk about the astros uh they're good they are good uh what do you want the next segment to be (laughs) no they are really interesting in the way that they have sort of continued to evolve over the past few seasons i think you know all baseball fans are kind of aware of the team's you know sort of history dating back into the last decade but i think uh, in the last couple of years, their sort of ability to extend this run and uh, start to replenish and sort of like reconfigure what the Astros look like has been really interesting. You know, the way that like they've kind of they've shed George Springer, um, they've kind of had Kyle Tucker and obviously Jordan Alvarez step up into like superstar status. Um, Jose Altuve continues to be really, really good. You know, they've lost. Carlos Correa, but Jeremy Pena has been perfectly fine. You know, he's not Correa, but he's, you know, 24 and really good. And it's also been quite interesting to see, you know, Alex Bregman sort of start to wake up. You know, Alex Bregman in like 2018 and 2019, I believe, was worth like 17 wins, according to baseball (laughs) reference, was like an incredible baseball player. You know, and like, look, anything the Astros did before 2019 is going to operate under a cloud of suspicion, but no one has ever thought Bregman was anything other than a very, very good baseball player. He had a down year in 2020. He had a, you know, again, a bit of a down year. Uh, Last year, still a pretty good player, but if you look at where he's at now, you know, 137 OPS plus, you know, 18 homers, like he might not be an eight win player, but if he's a five or six win player, when you've still got Altuve, when you've got Alvarez and Tucker, and just the way that they continue to produce pitching, like it's a, it's close to a factory at this point. It's, it's an impressive night after night product. You're talking about Bregman. This guy's leading the team, I think, in games played this year. He stayed on the field, right? So he's a good player who has stayed on the field. That's always going to bode well for a club like the Astros. And, and, you know, to offer your point about them being a factory, I was looking this up this morning. I think the key to any sustained winning is obviously how you're doing in the amateur talent pool, right? Like, how are you leveraging the international market? How are you drafting? How are you developing these players? Let me list off the homegrown players on the Houston Astros right now, all right? Jose Altuve. Yuli Gurriel is a free agent from Cuba. So that's that's one of their guys, all right? Alex Bregman, who we've talked about. Kyle Tucker, who we've talked about. Jeremy Pena, who we've talked about. Okay, Chaz McCormick, okay, playing center field, is a 21st rounder. That's a major leaguer for them. That is, you know, of use enough to be on the field, okay? Let's go to the pitching staff. Not Justin Verlander, obviously, but pretty much everybody else that's starting ball games for them. Fran Valdez, Luis Garcia, Lance McCullers, Christian Javier, Jose Urquidy, holy smokes. So you talk about that word factory. Uh, that's exactly what these guys are, right? Like uh, you talked about the sordid history that they have, but like here's something that, you know, the only way you win is to have talent. And not only have they acquired a bunch of talent, but it also seems like they're getting better, right? They're either getting better or they're evolving to kind of stay at a certain level you're seeing that with Altuve. You're seeing that with Bregman. They're a machine, right? Like, I know it's a complicated, sordid history, but right as of this moment, the Houston Astros are a machine, and they're a machine because they have acquired so much talent on all of these avenues. And as we know in this game, if you can acquire talent there, that's affordable. 
talent, right? Like if you're if you're leveraging the amateur markets, that means you can keep them for a while. It's why they can do things like absorb the loss of George Springer and Carlos Correa. It's really impressive. And, you know, this season is sort of just, a, I think, an accumulation of all of these good practices as far as accumulating talent through the years. Like, you're really seeing it come through. My goodness, the pitching alone, right? Like, what an impressive list. I know you guys are really intimately familiar with the July 4th power rankings that we published on the site. Uh, everyone's been talking about them. Big time uh, power rankings readers. Everyone listening has uh, poured over them. Levi Weaver was doing the American League side, and for the Astros, he was listing their departures since they won the World Series. So uh, Mark was focusing on the players they brought in, the homegrown players that they folded into the organization. He's going through and listing guys like Joe Musgrove and Charlie Morton and Garrett Cole and Colin McHugh and and uh, Wade Miley, Josh Reddick, George Springer, Carlos Correa, and it just goes on. I'm just picking the first names that are popping out to me. Kendall, Gra- Kendall Grave. Zach Granke. It's amazing that they're able to not just develop these guys, but realize who they can lose, who they can't afford to lose, having the confidence that they can lose them. It is wild how much turnover there's been since 2017. You look at the baseball reference pages for the the 2017 championship team and and the one that's going right now, and you've got some commonalities. You've got Altuve. You've got some players who are still there, but it's it's very, very different. It's Chaz McCormick and Kyle Tucker, and it's, it's guys that weren't there the last time. It's as good of a conveyor belt that is going right now. We always talk about the Dodgers. We always say the Dodgers are going to bring up a Gavin Lux and the Dodgers and the Dodgers and the Dodgers. Right now, for my money, it's the Astros and the Braves. Those are the two teams that are the conveyor belt of the gods right now. Yeah, well, the the Braves have uh, stopped the conveyor belt because they've just signed everyone. And they're like, no, this is our team for the next five years. Like, come play (laughs) us. Like, we're going to be really good. I mean, what they've accomplished in the last, you know, two to three seasons in locking up so many, so many homegrown talent to pretty much all of them, you know, with the exception of Austin Riley, all of them maybe a slightly below market deals to exceedingly below market deals. Again, as the only pro-labor baseball podcast, we think it's awful. The team should be disbanded. All the players should be released into free agency right now. But if you're a fan of the Braves, it's actually awesome because you have all these really good players around for a long time. And, you know, <clears throat> what is interesting about the Astros is they've sort of been able to weather that, I guess. Like, they, 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 didn't, they did not you know, lock up any of their guys outside of uh, Bregman and Altuve from that core, but they have the money to, you know, make a good deal for Jordan Alvarez, right? So that he's going to be slightly below market value, but at a <clears throat> at a price point that's hard to turn down. It's allowed them to have the money to go after, you know, Justin Verlander when he's coming off of a, um, you know, not pitching for kind of two years and get him for, you know, $25 million, $50 million, however you want to look at it. Obviously, Jim Crane could pay more, but they have determined, like, they don't have to fish in that sort of pool in order to do it. Uh, in order to succeed and that's you know a tribute to what they're doing on the farm and the development system and like you can dislike that in the winter when you know you think as a fan the most important thing is that all the players get paid as much but when you're actually watching the games like it's impressive to to watch the way they've sort of maintained this through spending on the right guys right spending on Altuve has proved to be beneficial Um, they got Bregman at a good sort of deal everyone seems to like what the Alvarez deal is and Verlander is you know should win the Cy Young this year at 39 uh, he's got a sub 2 ERA like it's it's really impressive Verlander just blows my I can't even process him he's like that's a different kind of language because 39 years old, 1.95 ERA, uh, coming off of Tommy John, I reject that. <laughs> just the whole premise. <laughs> like, I just, I, I cannot, that is too much bandwidth, that is too much, uh, takes too much RAM up in my brain. So no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to think about that too much. <laughs> it is kind of a testament to, you know, like what we've seen in baseball, right? That the differentiators, one of the separating factors, I think, for the clubs that do well and the clubs that struggle is that you're making your guys better, right? Like it, there's, right, it wasn't that long ago that in this sport, it used to be you are what you are after a certain period of time. And that idea has just been blown to bits. Like I, that, we've seen so many examples over and over and over again that takes that, what used to be just like standard wisdom, and has reduced it to absolute nonsense, 
right? Like, I mean, Muncie just signed an extension the other day, and like, that's a perfect example of it. He'd been written off as one thing and has proven to be something else. And, like, and so we're watching this happen even with dudes who are 39. So uh, it, it just, I think, is a, a testament to, you know, that the Astros have figured out how to, like, develop guys even at an advanced age like clearly there's like tools in place there as far as the people and resources or whatever the technology all that stuff where someone who's as competitive and as talented as justin verlander can fully leverage it and it helps him turn into this right i mean i think that's what we're looking at and and a reminder right like how just how much the game has shifted as far as that belief and the astros are among the teams that have been at the forefront of that let's do a quick quick debate Ready? Yeah. Don't sure. look at any stats. Don't look at any stats. The three best pitchers of this generation, right, are Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, and Clayton Kershaw, right? Don't look at any stats. Who you got? Uh, well, I'm going to be... <laughs> so Clayton Kershaw's ERA when he pitches against the Giants is like literally 1.12 or something like that. It, it's honestly the best single ERA against any opponent when you set a minimum number of starts. He's as good against the Giants as any pitcher has ever been against another team. So I have to take Clayton Kershaw because I have seen uh, I've seen the Giants uh, defeat both Verlander and Max Scherzer in a World Series and I am incapable of contemplating baseball outside of my bubble. So I'm going Clayton Kershaw. I'm not looking at any numbers. I'll just take Scherzer. For the hell of it, because obviously you can't go wrong with any of those three. But like, I feel like Scherzer has been playing baseball for as long as I can remember. <laughs> like, oh, my God, it's like insane how long he's been playing. It feels like Verlander had at least a couple years where he was a little bit lost in the woods where the other pitchers didn't necessarily. So that I'll throw and, and that Scherzer's done it pretty much at every locale that he's like, right. He has been the most well-traveled of that group. And no matter what happens, what scenario, like I mean, he's that guy. Every single time. I think that's really impressive. He's dealt with that massive pressure of the big deal, right? Like, that's really interesting to me that someone can weather that more than once, by the way. You know, he's got a World Series after doing that. I mean, he has had, in my view, just a really impressive kind of that modern career when you think about it, right? He's bounced around a little bit. He's had success in those places. He's signed like the big deals. He's thrived despite that. Yeah, I'll take Scherzer for those reasons. Yeah, I think I think Scherzer's the most emblematic of the era. Yes, good way <clears throat> to put it. Yes, Kershaw is the most sort of narratively interesting of the three uh, by far, and I think Verlander's the one who's going to finish with the best numbers. Kershaw's not going to pitch till he's forty, right? Like he's thirty-four now, and he's you know th- there's a chance this might be his last season, right? Verlander's already five years older. He could he wants to pitch till forty-five, like a sicko, uh, and you know Scherzer like might do the same thing. <laughs> so I think it's I think Kershaw had the the best peak. Scherzer had the most interesting peak in that his was at a later time, right? And then Verlander's the one who twenty years from now, sort of the way people look at Randy Johnson, you're like Randy Johnson had hundred and twenty wins above replacement. When like when you talk about who are the best pitchers that era, like obviously a bunch of people come up, Maddox, Glavin, Pedro, etc. But you look at Randy Johnson's numbers, you're like oh my god, that guy was incredible for a very long time. I think Verlander fits that one uh, in that uh, you know the, in the future he might be seen as the as the I don't know. We'll see. Who knows if there will be a future? Every <laughs> I am on Baseball Reference for a couple hours every day uh, by virtue of my job. I am clicking on StatHead, which is their sort of uh, hardcore search uh, through baseball history using stats. And they switched their format up a couple years ago so that every time I click on where I want to search up these stats, I click on this feature called Player Comparison. And I never want that. I'm always thinking I'm clicking on something else and I hate it. I hate it. Well, this time I want it. And I clicked on it and the examples given to me in the player comparison feature are Clayton Kershaw and uh, Justin Verlander. Like they know, they know. So now I've added Max Scherzer to it and I can do a little uh, uh, trivia here. Who has the most innings by a bunch of the three? Scherzer, I would, th- I would think. I'm going to say Kershaw. No, I'm wrong. I don't know. I think it's Verlander. It's Verlander by a bunch, by about 500 oh. innings over Scherzer, about 600 over Kershaw. Uh, who has the lowest ERA by a bunch? Kershaw. Uh, Kershaw. 
Kershaw, yeah. Kershaw's 249. Uh, Verlander's 327. Uh, I guess that's those are the most interesting ones. Who has the highest strikeout rate? Verlander. That's a good one. Scherzer. It's Scherzer. Is it's it Scherzer. by a lot? Yeah. It's by uh, almost a full oh, strikeout crap. over Kershaw. So he's at 10, 10.7. Wow. He's been doing this for, you know, since 2008, and he's been striking almost 11 batters for. <laughs> You know, when you're talking about Randy Johnson and that, OP, what is it, ERA plus or whatever, I can't remember what you cited. It was like one of those types of numbers. So much of that is because he was head and shoulders above everybody else as far as striking dudes out. When not everybody was like over 10 strikeouts like they seem to be now. Like he was so head and – it's almost like when I look at Judge this year, and it's not just impressive he's hit a bunch of homers, but look at the difference between one and two. Right? Isn't there like a pretty significant gap, you know? Yeah, he's hit like 15 more I mean, good grief. Like, like to me, like – you know, we talk about dominance, and like when I think of Verlander, that's dominance. That's what we're talking about, right? Like the dominant pitcher of the era. Dominance, in my mind, is not only what results you're having, but like how far ahead of you are from second place. Secretariat was dominant. Won the Belmont by 35 freaking lengths, right? Like that's dominant in my mind. And so Randy Johnson in that era, right, and the statistics kind of like reveal that is is because he struck out so many more guys than the average joe so yeah that verlander thing really pops that's that was that was super interesting that he would have the highest strikeout he said strikeout per nine right so that's yeah man that's what a fun exercise that was yeah and and i'm actually i went and just looked this up actually um who you know what was the what were the best relievers in baseball striking out guys at in 2008 and there were (laughs) 10 players who had a strikeout rate better than Scherzer's career rate. 10 relievers. Like now, if you strike out 11 batters per nine and like you're in a big league bullpen, they're like, yeah, that's fine. Like maybe you can pitch, you can pitch the fifth. Like it's okay. (laughs) Dude, Albert Abreu came jogging out of the freaking Yankee bullpen the other day throwing 98. And this is a guy that everyone's like, get him off the roster. Uh," You know, it just blows my mind how that's changed. Like they all do that. It is wild. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. 
or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We are going to talk about the changes in baseball and, and general managerial stuff in just a little bit. But before we go, Andy, you touched on, you mentioned Randy Johnson. And I just have to bring up that my favorite who you got in baseball history is Greg Maddox and Randy Johnson. Because it is so freaking close. It is, if you're going by ERA, they're separated by 0.13. If you're going by war, they're separated by uh, one war. I mean, they have each have 300 wins. And what I love about it, they did it so differently where you had Randy Johnson spent his 20s he couldn't hit the he couldn't hit the the Durham Bowl and then you had Greg Maddox and he's just carving people up but then you switch when they're 30 and now you've got Johnson being this dominant freak for his 30s and early 40s it is but their overall statistics are so close so that's my favorite who you got so I'm gonna ask you guys uh who you got Maddox or Johnson I'll take Johnson you'll take Johnson I'll take Johnson, too. Who would you want to watch, I guess? It's not necessarily like, who do you want to come in for the Game 7 of your World Series? Who, if you if you are watching your favorite team, which pitcher are, entices you for longer? Am I in a good mood or a bad mood? Uh, you? Bad mood. Okay, Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm in a good mood, though, and I want to enjoy the game, like, you can get into the sort of artistry of the Greg, you know, there's, like, the Greg Maddox thing. Like, there's that famous, like, Tom Boswell profile where I think there's, there's like, an anecdote where, you know, he says something, like, a guy comes out to the, the catcher comes to the mound, it's, like, 2-1, and he's like, yeah, I'm just going to throw inside, and I'll jam him, and it'll pop it up. And that's, like, exactly what happens, you know? It was, like, a guy who was basically not just playing a video game, like, with himself, but with what the opposing hitters would do. Um, but in terms of, like, if I'm in a bad mood and I want to see my team's pitcher, like, rough someone up, like, uh, yeah, Randy Johnson. I think that's that's fair. I just love that they're both of the same era, and they're both so unique. It's not like you go, oh, that guy's like Greg Maddox. No, there's just one Greg Maddox. No matter how hard you try and make Carl Pavano Greg Maddox-like, it's not going to work. And there's only one Randy Johnson. I mean, maybe Carlos Rodon, if he grows like uh, another foot and pitches for another 10 years. But no, there's only one Randy Johnson. So I love, that's my favorite. So I get on a soapbox. I actually wrote for The Athletic uh, about the Earth's SB Nation. So Google that. I was sober. Oh, good. Did you did you sip your coffee and talk about? Huh. This is pretty damn good. Did you do it with that one? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I do that a lot. (laughs) I just I wake up and that's some people go and check the New York Times and uh, you know the front page of something or other. I just look at what I wrote the day before and go. Hell yeah. yeah. (laughs) This is why you got all this. Look at this line. You know what? Like we're talking about Maddox. Like every every time you guys say his name, the the thing that uh, even I remember being younger. Like it used to blow my mind was like, even back in the day, he looked like a throwback. Imagine like, like close your eyes and like envision like Maddox on the mound and imagine how ridiculous it would look today. Cause everybody's just gigantic. <laughs> everybody's throwing hard. Everybody is like this one archetype. And then here's this dude who, I mean, looked like he, you know, was one of those eighties pitchers. I and mean, he was right. But like, he just always looked so like, God, I hate to use the word. He looked unimpressive. Right? Like, he just looked like your stock standard guy. And then you'd watch him go out there and do what he does. And you're just like, holy crap. And like, and it wasn't even like, oh, you're impressed. He just knew that he was going to get the job done in just about the most efficient manner because he was an artist, right? Like, he, he was just so surgical when he pitched. But like, I, I mean, it's so funny to me to think, like, this is one of the best pitchers ever. And like he'd look so out of place if he were to make a start, you know, in his prime today. Like he would look so out of place. He showed up to a press conference, I believe it was when he signed with the Padres, where he had a tan line. And the tan line was one hand was tan, one hand was pure white because of his golf glove. And that sounds like a made-up anecdote. That sounds like John Olrude talking about <laughs> Ricky Henderson, or you know, Ricky Henderson. It sounds like that. But it happened. And if you stripped stripped the names from it, and you said who did this happen to, you'd go, 
Uh, Greg Maddox. That sounds like Greg Maddox. It sounds like something he would do, like Mister Mister Accountant. You know, and it's true. It's it's a part God, of his. God, I wish I could do that one day. I wish that I played so much <laughs> golf that my golf glove hand were like less brown than the other hand. That would be unbelievable. <laughs> that would be the highlight of my career to get to that point. I just wish you could do a press conference where you apologize for your sins against the journalism industry in the past fifteen years. That would be good. <laughs> Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, sort of like Maddox. What would Maddox look like in the modern? Well, why else would you be giving a press report? Uh, you got me, Andy. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned like how how out of place Maddox would look in the modern game, right? Like given like his his build and everything, and like the closest analog to him in today's baseball is Zach Greinke, right? Greinke like drew a lot of comparisons to Maddox when he was being scouted all the way through high school, when he was drafted, you know, the, the cleanliness of his delivery, um, some of his approach, you know, the way he fields his position. Like, he's the closest thing to Maddox, probably, in Major League Baseball. If you ever see Zach, like, you ever watch Zach Greinke run, like, when he's wearing shorts, that man is built like a brick shithouse. Like, he is a, he is a strong... Like, Bell, there is none of that, like, sort of, you know, sort of un, uh, like, he's an impressive physical specimen. And that's sort of the difference, right, when we talk about, like, uh, what has changed so much with pitchers specifically in the last, like, 20 years. These guys are often, like, the best, you know, athletes on, on the club in some ways, or some of the best athletes, whereas before, you know, they were, that was less important. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we talk about repeatable deliveries, right, clean deliveries, like he just mentioned with Granky. I think oftentimes that's just uh, another way to say athleticism, because that's really what it is. Like, and I, you know, I think about Granky's a great example. Obviously, Maddox is a good athlete. You know, being able to repeat a delivery like that. Mariano Rivera was that way. Mariano Rivera's like delivery, his mechanics, all that stuff was just like pristine because he was such a tremendous athlete. And he looked it too. He looked the part. When you saw the guy, like you're like, damn, that's an athlete, right? And then you, you watched him pitch. Obviously, an athlete. So, no, I, I think that is a part of of, of pitching. That, yeah, it, it's cool that, that that still exists. That that athleticism, like talking about repeating delivery. Granky certainly fits the bill. Right? Isn't Granky like a scratch golfer? Like everything that he does athletically, he's great at. Muscle yeah, memory. it's it's ridiculous, right? There's some people who just like can do that, and it, it's mind blowing. He allegedly can hoop a little bit. Yeah, well. not not, not a it. surprise, right? Like that that's wild. All right, two things before we move on. Uh, Andy, did you throw a poker chip at your cat? Uh, no, I threw a bottle cap uh, to get him to move away. <laughs> uh, a lot of this will be edited out, maybe not. Uh, but the cat is is vocal oh, right now. He, what, he did you forget to kid. Did you forget to feed? No, I actually he actually through a variety of nefarious methods uh, managed to get two breakfasts this morning. Um, nice. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's a monster, and uh, any fan out there who's listening and wants a cat free of charge, you can have him. You'll poke holes in the box like you're mailing normal. Just you know, mail yeah, him to exactly. If you want. Exactly, <laughs> Gary. You want to go find a new home? The other thing, I just want to put this in your head. I want you to close your eyes and imagine yoked Greg Maddox. <laughs> I think we've been dancing around this idea, but if Greg Maddox were playing today, he'd be yoked. I don't think there. I don't think you can have a Greg Maddox. I think you would just. He would be so sick of people telling him, like, dude, you know, you got to – he'd be just huge. He's six feet tall. You know, he'd have some broad shoulders. and. Uh. When I think of Greg Maddox, he used to wear his socks like those dudes back in the day in the 80s that showed just the narrow strip that was probably, like, just halfway up. Because Teoscar Hernandez started rocking that look recently for the Blue Jays. And so I'm trying to think about what that looks like when the rest of him is jacked. And it is disconcerting, <laughs> actually. It looks pretty messed up. When you in my mind's eye, like it is like not a great image. <laughs> it's not. All right, let's move on. Uh, we're going to talk about last week. You weren't uh, here, Andy. The self-professed glue of the podcast was uh, on assignment and couldn't be here. But we were talking about managerial openings and, and temp interim managers and which job is the most appealing. And we got to the Rangers and we said, hey, is the Rangers job really appealing? Because they're not going to make a change at the top. They're not going to change the GM. They're not going to go with someone who's bringing better players in. In like five seconds later, Steph John Daniels got fired. It was before even the podcast came out. So we are going to talk about GMs at the top and uh, John Daniels. And it's the end of an era. And it kind of it, it's been a long time coming. And yet it's still surprising. So I don't know. 
like I think like in the vacuum of making the move, right? What the Rangers did, it makes sense, right? Like you know the the team has been struggling for quite a while. They sort of uh, did a sort of second rebuild in and a lot of the prospects that they developed during that time, you know, Rudnett Odor, Nomar Mazzara, et cetera, et cetera, you know, did not really pan out um, in the way that they had hoped. They're banking this latest uh, sort of iteration of the team on the farm system. So sure, it's understandable, you know, you might want to have a change at the top, you know, and move on from John Daniels. I just thought like, you know, again, like we connect like everything to, or at least it's like a, a bit on this podcast that we talk about how everything now relates to stuff 10 years ago when we were, you know, younger and you know, in, covering, our in our primes. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, for me, like John Daniels, I think is, you know, we talk about emblematic figures of this era and maybe that era has already passed, but like John Daniels is, is the sort of prototype for what the general manager sort of candidate looked like uh you know starting in like the mid 2000s maybe up until a couple years ago when there's been some you know some change in in that sort of profile it was someone who maybe didn't necessarily come from a baseball background right it was someone who you know came as more of an outsider you know often from an elite institution but offered you know a differing perspective and was willing to learn a you know variety of different spots uh, different roles within the organization to work their way up. Obviously, he wasn't the first to do this. You know, Theo Epstein and long before that, you know, Brian Cashman had, you know, come up through the sort of non-playing, non-scouting routes. But, uh, it, you know, it's just that's what all of a sudden every executive sort of was the profile for a very, very long time. And that, that ha- he's had some interesting, uh, you know, changes like on the game. And I think it's been very influential on how you know, the game is sort of played, how it's managed, you know, look at who are the types of people who are allowed into front offices that maybe weren't uh, 20 years ago. Um, you know, again, like everyone's decided that those people ruined baseball. I actually don't think that's true. Um, but like, I think it's it's fundamentally changed, you know, the way the sport looks in, in, in some ways. And so I, you know, I, I, I thought like it was kind of a, it's kind of a quiet, Exit from John Daniels, very you know classy on the way out. Obviously, a pretty well respected figure within the game. Um, but for me, like he's a fairly important figure in what baseball has looked like in the last fifteen years. To add context to that, I think he was twenty eight when he got the job. So yeah, what? he wasn't even thirty years old. So that's one. Number two, do you know who the team president was? John Hart. And then later on, Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan. So you got a guy that. Given all that context that Andy just laid out, a sort of more of an outsidery figure, and now he's in an organization in a position where he's making decisions, and you've got folks that are sort of the polar opposite of what you'd think this person is. I think it's telling that he's able to make that work. And when I say make that work, they won penance. That's the other thing about the Texas Rangers. Let's look at, I know that Grant has the fascination with like the woebegone Padres. Boy, Texas Rangers will give you a run for your money right there. All right. That's another franchise that really hasn't done a lot of winning. That's just sort of like it was hatched as an expansion team in Washington, didn't draw anything, moved to Texas, like playing outdoors for most of that time in like oppressive heat. Hard to get good players that way. Made a lot of bad decisions through the years, right? Like, I mean, it's just, it hasn't been historically a very good franchise. And under John Daniels, they won back to back pennants. Right? Like they were this close to winning a World Series. I mean, so I know that, like, in this day and age, people are, oh, they didn't win anything. I think that's stupid. They won pennants and they were so close. And you have to weigh that against what had come before. <laughs> I mean, not a long history of success there. So to have it early on, those were good, compelling teams, by the way. Those were good players. They were fun to watch. Um, I think they had the Yankees in 10. In the playoffs, I remember, and they beat him. And I, was, and I was covering the Yankees at the time. I'm thinking, holy crap, this team is really good. Okay, and I, I think Andy, you covered the 11 World Series. Like you were around. I, I mean, that's Ooh. a great World Series. That's a great club. That was a good but one. But like, you know, one. I think that matters. I think it matters when you compare historically to what had come before it. You know, to have that kind of success. You know, I, I thought Levi actually wrote something really good a day after the firing, just about how John handled himself. You know, as a leader. And I think that's telling too, right? Whenever things were good, he was putting other people out front to talk about it. When things were bad, 
he was standing up there in front of the microphones. And, and, and like, I think, you know, that's something that was like, well, obviously that's what you do. Well, that's not what happens sometimes. All right. <laughs> so like, I think, yeah. I think that speaks highly of the person and it's probably why he was there for so long and had garnered the kind of respect level that Andy was referring to is that one of the tropes about people who came into the, into baseball from like a background that wasn't traditionally, you know, where the leaders came from, it was that, oh, they're egghead Ivy leaguers that don't know how to deal with people. Not true. Right. Like in this, especially in this case, this, the, I mean, in fact, one would argue that like that is, again, the reason he stuck so long is that he did treat people well, it seemed like. And, and, and Levi laid that out, I thought, really well in the column, which is worth reading. But that's what I think of with John. Not only like the, the, the period of time that he came in, but the challenges that he faced and overcame. And he sort of broke the, you know, away from the stereotype of like guys of that background. Right. Like, yeah, he's a smart guy, Ivy, whatever. Great with people. Good leader. Um, and I think it's part of the reason that he kind of got this rope, right? Like, because they haven't been good for a while. And yet that only happened now that he was fired. That, that tells me that this is probably somebody who's good with the people. End of it. One thing I want baseball and baseball fans to go back to is the idea that the pennant is a big freaking deal. When you're talking about the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant, how many people remember that the Giants lost the World Series after that? Because no, they won the pennant. That's why everyone's freaking out. So I want I want to go back to that. Yeah, and I think obviously like it's it's challenging for uh, maybe Rangers fans to you know to take solace in that. I guess right, especially when you're so close as they were in in 2011. Um, you know, I, I mean, yeah, that was a great, that was, what a World Series, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, just thinking on, like, the influence in the sport, right? And, like, this would, if someone would have done this, I, I, you know, so I'm not saying, like, he's the singular figure who changed baseball, but, like, you know, why is it hard to trade prospects for established big leaguers with one or two years of, uh, you know, approaching free agency, right? Like, one of the reasons is the Mark Deshera trade. Why do you see players, like, Max Muncie, you know, who are sort of taken off the scrap heap from elsewhere, given a chance and turned and, and developed, you know, talk about the growth mindset, like in superstars. Well, it's players like Nelson Cruz, who the Rangers did with. Obviously, they weren't the first to do that. But like, you know, David Ortiz comes to mind. But they're, they're, they were doing things that all the good clubs do now. The Rangers were part of that movement. You know, the discussion, talking about communication between you know the front office and the coaching staff and you know and and getting things to be less siloed in organizations right it wasn't perfect but like this was this was part of what the rangers were at the forefront of for a long time there were three gms hired heading into the for the 2006 season i guess Uh, one of them was hired mid-season andrew friedman john daniels and dayton moore I think who are three of the most like sort of important figures of this last 15 years in a variety of different ways. I'm going to give you the names of some of the folks who were GMs in 2005. Uh, some of them, you know, maintained that role into 2006 when John Daniels took over. He was hired, I think, October 4th, 2005. I'm going to, you tell me who this guy was the GM for. All right, ready? Dan O'Brien Jr. Is that Braves? That would be Dave O'Brien, our beat writer. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Oh my gosh, I was like, wait, Stop I do not Oh man, oh, oh, no. I, uh, who, who is that? Reds, Reds. Wow. Okay. Okay. Huh. Uh, Chuck Lamar. Oh, the Rays. Rays. Oh, that's GM. Rays. Rays. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Dave Littlefield. Pirates. Pirates. Yeah. Uh, Bill Bavese. Oh, uh, Mariners. Uh, was he Mariners at that Mariners. point? Yes. All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, Son of Buzzy. Mm, Son of Buzzy. Him. All right, this one's easy. Bill Stoneman. Who was he the GM? Come on. No, I Is am that like, Phillies? No. Phillies? I blanked on that. Who I don't know, man. Who was he the GM of? Angels. Oh, right. Dang it. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Bob Gephardt. <laughs> oh, no. That's Rock Rockies? Uh, D-backs. <sighs> wow. What year was this? 05. Okay, so I'm not a professional writer. This is my out. I don't know about <laughs> Where was I in 05? No. I was, uh, nope, not yet. That's crazy. And to bring to go back to the the idea that if you're throwing 98, like maybe you can handle the sixth inning, chum. It just seems like baseball has changed so much since John Daniels came into the league. And baseball has 
baseball analysis is so radically different than what it was. I don't know about you guys. I don't want to speak for you. I feel like I have much less of a grip on baseball and baseball analysis than I did 10 years ago, that I just know so much less, which is humbling and annoying, and it's not necessarily good for my career. But like that's that's how I feel, and I can only imagine being a GM where you're in this post-Moneyball era, and you're starting to figure out how to make players better, and you're doing the things you do well, and you're winning pennants because of it. And then it just feels like there's been this seismic shift in how you analyze players. It's wild to me, and I think that got him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. Um, I think it's part of the reason maybe they brought in Chris Young, uh, you know, to be the general manager in part because I think it's it's a really complicated job. It's why there's assistant hitting coaches and assistant pitching coaches. And I think the jobs have just gotten more complex as more data has come into the sport. I think where there's just so much information that trying to synthesize it uh, and point it in the right direction has become really challenging and I think the best teams you know the the Dodgers the Astros the Yankees you know they sort of know what they like and they uh you know control for that and try and you know find it I think the Mets are moving in that direction but you know it's like it's establishing what your core principles are and then using the data to you know to basically solve for that but that's not easy you know and you're right Grant like sometimes I talk to I was talking to a player the other day, and uh, he was like, and if Eno was listening to this, he'd be like, well, that's obvious. But he was talking, I was talking to a player the other day, he's like, yeah, he has like 25 inches on his fastball. And I'm like, is that, is that good? I mean, what, like, is that, what, what do you mean? Like, you know, which like, yeah, I know that that's like just how they talk now, but I don't understand what it means. You know what's crazy, man, is how fast this has all changed. That's the part that gets me. Like, the smartest guy in the room in 2011 would be an absolute moron today, right? Like, it, it and I say that, like, half-jokingly, because, like, you know what? I always thought, like, what we thought we understood back in the day was a total ruse anyway. This is too damn complicated to figure out. I think what was more accurate was that maybe we were closer, all right? Like, we were closer to getting some of this stuff, but, like, actually understanding it, good luck, all right, because like, okay, you just talked about coaches, how, how coaching staffs have grown. That's a direct result, in my opinion, on the, like this reality that they understand that these are individuals. These players are individuals. That means the more people you have that could potentially connect with them, the higher your odds of getting the outcome that you want. Right. And so like, that's a kind of a no shit sort of thing. But when you think about what baseball culture used to be and how much it's changed in a short period of time, of course, we've seen this evolution. So I just don't, I think the game has never changed this fast, right? The game's always changing, but the the clip in which it is changing is remarkable. To that end, like imagine you are a Pirates fan. You did something in a past life. I'm sorry to hear it, but you're a Pirates fan and you hear the news that your team has hired Billy Bean. Are you like pumping your fist like this is going to fix everything in 2022? Are you convinced that now you have the genius that's going to take the Pirates to the promised land? No, because the, the game has moved on. They made a freaking movie about him like not that long ago. And, and now it's it's not that anymore. And that's not to besmirch Billy Bean like he's still doing his stuff and he's still probably pretty darn smart. But the idea that he's going to come in and just radically change a team like the Pirates around, that's that's like fantasy land right now. No, well, he raised the bar. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what all innovation does is that like it is just straight up harder to be good at this now because there's so many teams that are good at this now. Like they all have pitching labs for Pete's sake. You know, like if you're serious about winning ball games in this day and age, like you probably have like this super sophisticated pitching lab that is stocked with people that know what to do with that data. Right. Like that have been trained specifically to be able to translate that stuff and make it practical. I mean, to me, that's so much of it now. Yeah. You got all this data. Great. Now, can you make it practical? Right. We're talking about the Houston Astros. They make it practical. I think all these good teams, the Dodgers do it right. Like we go on and on. Like the good teams make that stuff practical. That's another thing that like didn't even register 10 years ago or even when John took the job like this was all stuff that was all theoretical if it was being talked about like none of it was actually in practice and now it's become standard fare if you're serious about winning ball games in a really short amount of time it's really kind of remarkable to me honestly 
It's crazy. Well, uh, this is a good place to end it. This has been episode 21 of The Roundtable, and I've been doing some thinking. I think this podcast would drink something uh, a little sweet with an umbrella in it. I don't think we're IPA or Coors Light. I think... Uh, I think we're deceptively strong, but also, you know, a little uh, embarrassing. So would you guys agree with that? Uh, I'm going to go with that. That is correct. I, I would love an umbrella drink right have, now. Have you, guys ever had a, have you guys ever had like a Truly or one of those, like one of these hard seltzers? Sure. What do you think? Eh, I mean, you know, my cousin says uh, I'm going to switch from missiles to guns. And so if you're drinking something harder, <laughs> you go from missiles to guns, and it's just something that keeps keeps it going. I like that. Um, I'm going to start using but, that. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. I think about it a lot. And it's just, uh, you know, it has its place. Like, it allows you to just extend without getting in over your head. Yeah, you should chase it with some Roman. Now you got something. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. It does last longer than four hours. (laughs) You got to put down the white claw. See, it hit 25 inches on that fastball. (laughs) Which would be a bigger problem if you came to the clubhouse? The Roman or the Trulies? I, I, Brian's got his work cut I'm out for him. Save that for week. next pod. Yeah. Brian's earning his paycheck this week. Out of boy. Episode 21 of the Roundtable. We'll see you next week, maybe, if we're still employed. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.